and welcome to episode 538 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. It is Monster Kid Radio. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook, and I've got a really sore throat, so I'm keeping my enthusiasm a little lower than normal, trying to uh, protect those vocal cords, you know? I don't have any other symptoms for anything else. It's just a sore throat, maybe a little bit of a head cold thing going on. That's it. I can still taste and smell and no other. Don't worry about me. Just anyway, here we are at the podcast, episode 538, and you're listening to a song right now called Cthulhu Don't Surf. It is from the band The Terror Surfs. It's from their album Terror Alien. They've given us permission to play their music here on the show in the past, so we're playing some more of it now. You can follow the link in the show notes to check it out. Check out their entire album. You can also just go straight to theterrorsurfs.bandcamp.com when you're done listening to this episode. Why are we playing a song with the word, the name, Cthulhu in it? Well, it's because we're doing some Lovecraft stuff today. It's been a long time since I've talked about Lovecraft proper on the podcast. And at this point, well, I wanted some more Lovecraft talk, so I reached out to my friend Chris McMillan, longtime friend of the show, longtime fan of all things Lovecraft, longtime attendee of the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, I met up with him, we had some coffee, we sat outside, I broke out the recorder, and we talked about our top three favorite H.P. Lovecraft films. We did not stick to the classic era, but because it is Chris and I, you know, some classic stuff's gonna come up. So that's the recording you're gonna hear today. It's a little more loosey-goosey than normal. Loosey-goosey. It's not as tightly edited. You know, I wanted to keep that kind of raw feel that you sometimes get from recordings that I take at various film events. So, you know, you do get some rambling and some sidetracking, and yeah, that happens a few times in this recording. It's what friends do when they start talking about their favorite subject, whether it's monster movies, whether it's Lovecraft, or anything else that comes up. You know what else you have in this episode? You've got Kenny's Look and Famous Monsters of Filmland. It's another awesome installment, and... Mark Matsky's Beta Capsule Review, continuing to bang it out. Now, I do have a little bit of feedback. However, because my throat's not feeling so great and because it now costs money to use the service that I was using for the Monsters in the Machine voice, I'm going to sit on it until next week. However, if you have any other feedback for the show and you want to hear that addressed on next week's episode, this is how you do it. In fact, I'm going to have the Monsters in the Machine that I already have recorded ahead of time tell you how you can get that feedback to us, and then we're going to go right into the rest of the episode. Here we go. And hey, a real quick point of correction. The artist is not the Terror Surfs. Uh, it is under their Bandcamp page, but it was actually the Surf Aliens, which is the band that they worked with on this particular EP release. So every time I say Terror Surfs, just imagine I'm saying Surf Aliens, okay? All right, now on with the rest of the show. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror film. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos the Hands of Fate, and one of the creators of the original chill role-playing game. This book recreates the thrills of the classic monster versus monster film. We've got vampires, werewolves, mummies, 
psychic twins, scheming madmen, and plenty of unexpected chills. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors in print or for Kindle at Amazon.com and other fine retailers. Coming soon in other ebook formats. Find out more at CushingHorrors.com or SDSullivan.com and support Steve's work through Patreon at HeySteve.com. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again. And remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. There are some doors that should never be opened. One of them is the door to the shuttered room. I wouldn't take her into that old house, mister. Lesson you want her to end up like this. The terror begins on the road to the house with the shuttered room. There's no hope for Susanna if she spends even one night in that house. Why, um, detect a threat there somewhere? Did you feel it? Feel what? When you opened that door, it was like I was standing in front of a refrigerator. The terror is a touch. A sound. A sense of someone watching. That stains two people with the secret of what lies in the shuttered room and beyond. Please, let me go. I have to see my husband. What's wrong with staying right here and passing the time of day with me? Hey, Chief. That sure is a lovely wife you got there. And you know, I hear tell, she's just as pretty all over. You wouldn't happen to know what your wife's doing right now, would you? Hey, maybe Ethan knows what this guy's wife's doing. Maybe this guy's wife knows what Ethan is doing. Because maybe they're doing the same thing together. Wait a minute. Let me help you. One night in the house with the shuttered room. And you may never want to sleep again. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Anne Morheim, an agent from the Paris headquarters of the SSSP, arrives in Japan with a secret mission to conduct. She reveals that Hayata has received a promotion to the Paris branch, and the two return to Europe the same day. Moments after Hayata's departure, telecommunications systems go haywire, caused by a device planted at the Science Patrol headquarters. Suspicion about Anne continues to mount when Arashi and Ide spot a woman who looks just like her and Paris headquarters confirms that neither she nor Hayata made it back to base. 
it soon becomes apparent that she is part of a plot to overthrow the surface in the 22nd episode of Ultraman as she releases giant monster Telestan from its subterranean chamber to wreak havoc on Tokyo. 40,000 meters below ground, Hayata is being held captive by a group of eyeless humanoids who are bent on conquering the world and know the secret of his ultra-identity. Their plan to reprogram Hayata and control Ultraman backfires when his transformation unleashes tremendous light, but he still must face the fire-breathing Telestan before his energy depletes. Overthrow the Surface was directed by Akio Jisaji with an avant-garde flair using smash cuts, freeze frame, odd camera angles and sound effects to enhance the disorienting elements of the story. One can imagine young viewers being a bit disturbed by both the weird images of the underground people and the concept of Hayata being taken away against his will. And on that note, one of the original cast members really has been taken away. On August 21st, 2021, Masanori Nihei, who is a constant delight in the role of Ide, died of pneumonia. Nihei joined Toho Studios in 1960, and his genre credits included Mothra, Gorath, The Lost World of Sinbad with Toshiro Mifune, and a recurring role in Tsuburaya Productions' Mighty Jack. In 2006, he guest starred in three episodes of the 40th anniversary series Ultraman Max, along with the actors who played Hayata and Fuji. Masanori Nihei was 80 years old. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. The Smog Monster, spewing its poisonous venom over the earth. Only one force dared stand up to its overpowering evil. Godzilla. See Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. Two monsters battling for the domination of the earth. Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. An American International Pictures release in color rated G. Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. The battle for life on Earth. A rocket ship to unexplored planets. Captured by unknown powers. Yogg. Monster from space. You are powerless against me. An irresistible, terrorizing monster. ourselves into the giant crab of the jungle turtle. Monsters never before seen. Unconquerable, the unbelievable.
monster from space. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today, Derek and his guests are talking about their favorite H.P. Lovecraft movies. We are going to hear about FM's coverage of a movie that may or may not be on their lists. Die, Monster, Die. In Monster World No. 5, also known as FM 74, from October of 1965, there was a 10-page, 12-photo preview article of the film. At the time of the article, the film was known as The House at the End of the World. It was written by FM's British correspondent, Peter Jarman, who visited the set. Let's hear how it went. I have just returned from a terrifying experience, a venture into the dark recesses of the house at the end of the world, where I dared to set foot to find out for the readers of Monster World and FM all about the evil color out of space. I have lived to tell the tale. The house, like something out of Poe, another usher, so filled with corruption and evil, I located in the heart of the English countryside at the motion picture studios of Shepperton, which bear the name of the picturesque little village just down the road. Close by the entrance to the studios is a genuine old parish church, so gothic in its ancient appearance that it is often mistaken for a remarkably real film set. The sun peeping from behind some clouds was soon blocked from my view as I entered the sinister gloom of the lofty soundstage reserved by American International for production of its latest horror film. I knew that somewhere in this twilight zone of reduced visibility to which my darkness dilating eyes were becoming more accustomed moment by moment, somewhere here in the shadows was hidden the greatest monster of them all, Boris Karloff. Electric cables snaked beneath my fate as I carefully picked my way forward, eventually to find myself in a spacious but distinctly somber bedchamber. The four-poster was at the moment empty. In a corner of the set, I spied Frida Jackson, whom you will remember from Shadows of the Cat and Brides of Dracula. She was studying her lines for the next scene before getting into that forbidding bed. A few moments later, she was propped up on the pillows ready to play her part as the peculiar Letitia Whiteley, to mouth words of warning to all who stay under the roof of that house of doom, and not long afterwards to reveal how her own flesh and body are disfigured by supernatural and hideous disease, as horrid as any conceived in the fevered nightmares of Edgar Allan Poe. And why not? For this is adapted from a weird tale, The Color Out of Space, by the author who adopted the mantle of Poe, H.P. Lovecraft. Screenplay for this shuddery movie written by Jerry Soul. Around me were all the signs of disturbing decay. Musty weird paintings, spidery cobwebs, and shadowy alcoves leading to dark chambers of gruesome torture relics, or were they still used? An unknown horror. Then I was made privy to the terrible secrets surrounding me in this evil house, some of which I am now allowed to reveal to you before the completed picture reaches your theaters. Peter then gives a synopsis of the film and ends with this look at his meeting with the film's star. Gasping from the terrors of the house at the end of the world set, 
I emerge from the fascinating gloom of it, all into the daylight outside the sound stage. It was time for lunch, and my Shepperton studio friends shepherded me to the luncheon lounge. On the table next to ours, I noticed a reservation for Miss Leslie Caron. But with the greatest possible respect for this charming star, I was on edge looking for someone else. All through lunch, I was on the alert for the man I had specifically come to meet, the man who had promised to see me for a monster world and famous monsters. The scenes I had seen shot that morning had not included him. The suspense of wondering where he was and when he would appear was terrifying in itself. Then suddenly, as they say, across a crowded room, I saw him, the distinguished white-haired English gentleman the world knows as Boris Karloff. He was deep in conversation with studio associates over lunch. I hurried through mine and waited. Eventually, he rose and walked towards the restaurant exit, my guide and I in hot pursuit. Jarman meets Karloff, or Karloff meets the Jarmaster. All sorts of crazy possible titles for this encounter crowded my excited brain. And then, there we were at last, the great Boris warmly shaking hands with me. Peter interviewed Boris, and that appears in FM 37. Die Monster Die was not mentioned much in the interview, so we'll see that some other time. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more soon. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. Two big new thrillers in one spine-tingling show. Thriller number one, The Curse of the Werewolf. Half man, half wolf, his beast blood demanded that he kill, even as his human soul cried out for love. You say you love me, will you marry me? Yes. Yes, I will. But under the full moon, the dream of love became a nightmare. Get away, get away! Get away! Plus, the shadow of the cat. One cat, nine lives. Walter, Clara, Andrew, Beth, Michael, Jacob, Edgar, Louise, Ella. Nine lives on the edge of terror. Was it supernatural force or psychotic compulsion? Terrific together. The Curse of the Werewolf in color and The Shadow of the Cat at your theater only. CK. Docking maneuver completed. Link up accomplished successfully. Starting rocket motors to continue flight. Over and out. Next step, Mars. 35 million miles away. Mission Mars. Three astronauts on a mission to the forbidden reaches of the red planet. Defying the elements. Inviting death and disaster. Darren McGavin, who gambled his life on a fantastic mission to a world no other living man had ever seen. Oh, darling, I'm so scared. Nick Adams, who shared the incredible odyssey, living an adventure beyond his wildest dreams. Mission Mars. They met their destiny on a planet that time forgot. 
wrapped in adventure that smashes the barriers of man's imagination. Watch out, the ball is opening! I'm hanging out with Chris McMillan, the man from the shadow over Portland. He's not been on the show in a little while because he has been busy and I just don't like him all that much. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Chris is a big part of the reason why Monster Kid Radio is what it is. He was on the very first episode. Chris, what's up, man? Oh, not much. Yeah, well, okay, no, that's not true. Uh, the day job has been kicking my backside, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I'm still finding time to uh, keep the shadow over Portland going, which is great now that we've actually got movies and, and, and live events and stuff happening. Hopefully, um, yeah, it stays that way, man. Oh, I hope so, too. Good Lord. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know you've been busy. I mean, we're friends outside of all this podcasting stuff. And one of the reasons we're friends is, well, you used to listen to my old podcast, but we also go to an event every year and we love it. We spend an entire weekend with very little sleep and a whole bunch of tentacles. (laughs) Uh, We we go to the HP Lovecraft Film Festival and CthulhuCon every year here in Portland, Oregon. Now, last year they didn't have it. And, you know, I know they're planning it again this year. I know they're planning for it. Fingers and tentacles crossed. But I don't know if I can wait another month for more Lovecraft. So I wanted to talk Lovecraft with Chris. And, you know, I'm always up to talking Lovecraft. And, you know, that's the thing. Uh, Before we get into this real quick about Lovecraft, let's talk about Lovecraft real quick. Uh, We know he was not a very good person. He had some pretty important views. We are separating the art from the artist. The thoughts and opinions of H.P. Lovecraft do not reflect the thoughts and opinions of Monster Kid Radio or those appearing on the podcast this week. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah, I, I, I started reading Lovecraft in high school, and I had no idea who this guy was. And then I started getting information, and it's like, oh, yeah. ouch. Because, you know, before, when I was younger, it was like, yeah, I'd love to. You know, well, have, I didn't know. Yeah. What? Famous dead Arthur, would you like to have dinner with him? I'm thinking, H.P. Lovecraft, that'd be amazing. And then it's like, yeah, and he'd probably hate my guts. Yeah, yeah, I see. I feel the same way. I, I did I did a questionnaire like that for uh, for something. I forget what it was for. But yeah, I put Robert E. Howard. But there's no way he and I would get along in real life. We'd talk about writing for about 30 minutes, and he'd realize that I don't eat meat. And uh, <laughs> I, I suspect that might be an issue for him. Yeah. Um, and then... And it then would just go downhill from there. Well, and I'm, he'd I'm, try to box me behind the beer, you know. Just I don't know. Well, and you know, I'm reading a lot. I'm, I've got a book of Conan that on um, on my Kindle app, mm-hmm. which I'm going through. You know, whenever I don't have anything else to read at the moment, which is never. But I'm working my way through it, and it's like, yeah, he's kind of the same as Lovecraft. It's I just no, no, not not those views. No. So yeah, with, with Howard. Right before we got done, we started recording. Chris and I were talking about how I need to keep the recordings tighter. And here we are rambling. <laughs> and here we are rambling already. But you know what? I love Robert E. Howard's work. I really do. And I have a lot of respect for what he did. I feel it, like his views regarding the other were less about the skin color and more about just outsiders, period. Because of where he grew up, and especially in Cross Plains, with all these outsiders, oil men coming in. Mm-hmm. And he really struggled with that and civilization in general, encroaching on the freedoms of the common man. We could go off. Yeah. Bottom line is, we're not racists. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, yeah, I agree. Well, I, I'm just, I, it's like, where did that come from? I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Um, no, and, and I, I like Howard. I mean, uh-huh. if you want to, if you want to know how to write a sword fight, oh. read him. Yeah. Because he does it so well. Is it Stephen King that says that he writes with like thunder and lightning? It's just boom. Oh, yeah. So good. Yeah. So um, good. But you know, yeah. what? I might even do a Howard Horror Story episode someday. Oh, I think you should. I haven't read enough of them, although I've read some of the um, Solomon Kane's. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, Pigeons from Hell, man. I have not read that yet. Pigeons from Hell. We covered that with uh, David Heath here on the show. Oh, the the, um, the, the thriller, thriller episode, episode. right? Yep. yep, it's a great story. It's got some, yeah. What are we doing? We're rambling. <laughs> so in the day and age of the pandemic times two, whatever, uh, I, Chris and I haven't spent a lot of time together. So even though we've spent at least an hour, and I've noticed somebody's checked my parking yet. Well, that's an, good. <laughs> at least an hour chatting here outside the coffee shop. And uh, I, I suspect we're going to, you know what? Let's just get into it. Okay. You know what? Let's just dive in. I, I'm sorry. I'm rambling and babbling now. Well, we do that. We do that. And I know sometimes <laughs> people tune into the show for that. But let's get on track. Top three favorite Lovecraft adaptations. And Chris sent me a message the other day asking, are we going to keep it within the traditional time frame of Monster Kid Radio? And I said, no. Let's go all over the place. And I know Monster Kid Radio is about the classics. I get that. But in this case... There's three, maybe four <laughs> of the classic era that are Lovecraft. And if we're doing a top three Lovecraft adaptation <laughs> episode, it's going to be pretty predictable. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to open it up a little bit. Although my first pick, and I'm going to go ahead and go first. That way we can end on the guests the way oh. we like to do. Oh, right, right. Um, I need to check the year on it. And you know what? I'm not even going to open my phone because it's more time to record and edit. I know this movie has problems. I know this movie doesn't have a lot of fans. I know that a lot of fans of Lovecraft don't like this film. Barbara Steele is completely wasted in it. Oh, okay. That one. But uh, <laughs> That one. I thought there was another one coming, but yeah. I love The Curse of the Crimson Altar so much. There's just something about this movie that tickles me in places that other films don't tickle me. <laughs> okay. One would say that it sometimes gives me ten tickles. Ooh, that oh, was bad. Ooh, oh, oh, that was bad. I see an editing job with that one. <laughs> no, I'm leaving <laughs> no, that. Okay, okay. I want the people to know that I'm a comedic genius. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, I, I love The Curse of the Crimson Altar. And, um, I've got it on Blu-ray in two different versions uh, because for whatever reason, when it came out on Blu-ray the first time, it only had one particular cut on it. Now, make no mistake, the cuts aren't different. The music is. When it was brought over to the U.S., it was released as the Crimson Altar or something along those lines, and it had a different soundtrack. That's it. That's the only real difference. I don't know if that'll be picked up or not. Uh, but yeah, the only real difference is the music. Yeah. And so when I picked it up on Blu-ray, it had the one original soundtrack, which is mostly library music, which is amusing because some of the library music from that film also appears in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which is kind of fun. <laughs> um but when it was brought over here, it was given a new soundtrack, uh, a new score uh, for home video release, I believe. And it was, if I remember the guy's name is Kendall Schmidt. I'll have to double check that while Chris is telling us about our first one, his first pick or his third pick. It makes it feel like a full moon movie. The mm-hmm. way the music works, it feels like a full moon film. 
Whereas with the original, it feels like something from that era. So that's my number one. Well, and, and, Walter, and, man. and I think it's a great, I think it's a great film too. It's not on my list, but I enjoy it. I mean, you got Barbara Steele. Yeah, she was wasted in it. But you also got Christopher Lee and Boris Karloff in it. I mean. And they have some scenes together. Yeah. Very few. Very few. They have some scenes together, and that's kind of fun. Those scenes are great between the two of them. It's it's so much fun to watch them. And, um, uh, and this yeah. is the last film that Karloff did over in the U, in, in England. Mm-hmm. Um, last film he did there, he got sick doing it. He's in a wheelchair. He's not in the best shape, but. But he still he still gave a great performance. He I does. Mean, he's just, he does. Yeah. And I just checked, and yes, it is uh, the Crimson Cult. That's what it's called here in the states. Right. Yeah. And Kendall Schmidt is the person who did the the U.S. score for it. He did the same thing as th- thing on things like Witchfinder General and Planet of the Vampires. A lot of the things where they could clear the music rights. I'm sorry, the movie rights, but not the music rights when they brought it over. Right. Well, you know, I mean, it, yeah. yeah, it is what it is. Exactly. Okay. What's your number three? I'm going to go a little more modern. I'm always in a toss-up between Reanimator and From Beyond, but I'm going to go with From Beyond. Oh, okay. Um, Stuart Gordon, Jeffrey Coombs. Um, 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 Ken Forey. Ken Forey. Um, Barbara Crampton. Yeah. I really enjoy that movie because the first 10 minutes is basically Lovecraft's story. Mm-hmm. And then you go wacko. Um <laughs> Stuart Gory Gordon effects. would do that, though. Oh, yeah. He, he would... I don't think Lovecraft would like his versions of the films. No, although I think he might be all right with Reanimator because he didn't like the story he wrote either. That's true. But I will say <laughs> this. One of the reasons I bounce around between those two movies is Reanimator has a lot of elements. Mm-hmm. The movie has a lot of elements taken from the stories. You know, you got Dean Halsey going, being reanimated and going crazy. You've got a headless person carrying around their head in a box while they've got a mannequin head on their shoulders. You know, That's great. I, yeah. From Beyond just gets so crazy. And Shot Factory now has the unrated version, quote unquote, out there. The, the version they couldn't get past the MPAA because they need an R really? rating. I want to see that. I'm going to add that to the Monster Kid Radio Amazon wish list. There you go. It's, <laughs> But, I mean, what I like is... You know, the actors, they work so well together. Jeffrey Coombs is just, in Reanimator, he's this maniacal person. And the other one, he's he's really fractured and kind of out of his mind because he's seen beyond. Ooh, title drop. There you go. Sort of. Um, and then Barbara Crampton at the end, there's this scene where she's just laughing hysterically and then crying. And it's just such a great transition. I mean, it's it's amazing to watch. I, I think Reanimator does, it's pretty good on its own. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, I think in terms of when you think about Lovecraftian stuff, you don't think of Lovecraft's Frankenstein knockoff. You think of cosmic horror. And that's what From Beyond is. And yeah. Yeah, for that reason, I'd probably go with From Beyond as well. Although I love Coombs as Dr. West. Oh, he is so good. And I mean, I'm so glad that he was able to do what was it? Three Lovecraft films. Um, no, four, because he, well... He did the two Reanimator sequels. He did, oh. He appeared in Necronomicon. And he appeared in um, Castle Freak, which was basically... Um, was um, it the original or the remake? The he original. Yeah, I think it's... I, he was in the original, and I forget the story that was. It's the, you know, it's the one about the, the 
yeah, I forget the name of the story. The Outsider, was it? I or the remember. thing in the... I don't remember. The thing in the basement we're not going to describe, but spend three pages talking about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then <laughs> and then he was in a remake of the Dunwich Horror, which I saw at the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. And he plays Wilbur Waitley. And, oh, oh. man. Oh, it's... Uh, Yogg-Sothoth looks like... I can't say what he looks like because <laughs> it's so bad. Fair enough. Oh, it's terrible. But right. um, but yeah, from beyond. From I, beyond. I, I I love that movie. I think it it goes at a really quick pace, even with the added um, scenes that they had to cut out. And just just to watch it for the acting is great. And Ted Sorrell, I think it is, who plays Pretorius, who goes and becomes this otherworldly thing, is amazing as well. And I got to admit, you know, I mean, the effects in that are just wild. So, yeah, number three. Right on. Well, I'm also going outside of the traditional era for my number two. It's from 2011. I love the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society production of The Whispering Darkness. Ah. I love that movie. Uh, yeah, it takes a turn at the very end where it's not faithful anymore. All of them are kind of unfaithful at some point, aren't they? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, when they did that, they were doing it like a 1930s film. And, I mean, the ending of that is just kind of like... Uh, what? It, it's good, but it's not cinematic. It's not 1930s anymore. Well, <laughs> well, no, and not only that, it's not cinematic. There's, yeah. it's, it, you know, I mean, what they have at the ending is appropriate for a 1930s yeah. cinematic experience. Um, I like I like the performances in it a lot. I love that it's in black and white, and it does have that retro 1930s feel. And I think it's, it's come up here on the podcast in the past. Sean Branny, the director, has said a few times to me that he's always kind of viewed his film that can be shown as part of a double feature with the original The Mummy. And I, I can see some of the similarities there in terms of some of the characterizations and the way it's kind of shot and pacing. Mm -hmm. So I get that. I love the music in it. I think sometimes when you do these retro movies and you try to recreate that music from that era, it's tough. And Troy Sterling Neese and the others did a phenomenal job with Whisper in Darkness. I oh, love yeah. It. Uh, it's just, it's a great film. I love it so much. Uh, it does go a little off the rails at the end and does kind of depart. And like Chris says, it just kind of like, uh, okay. But, you know what? It's still my number two. And let's give the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society a little more love with my number two, their first movie, The Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> because I remember buying that at the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. And it's like, well, they're shot like a silent film. Okay, let's see what it's like. And it's like, holy, this is great. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's just it. Realize if, if you... If you want to see it, it is a silent film. Mm -hmm. They have, you know, the the title cards coming up. The music's great. I mean, you know, you know the effects they shot digitally and they did on computer. Um, you know, they composited on computer instead of the old style mats. But still, they tried to keep that feel of a silent film going. And when Cthulhu comes out. And all his stop motion or its stop motion glory, oh, he—it looks great. I, I love that movie. I can watch it every Halloween, and I probably do. Um, hmm. 
because See, and I'm like that with Whisper in Darkness. Yeah, I have to watch that every October. Mm -hmm. I just have to. Yeah, and and for me, it's Call of Cthulhu because I mean, that is what I would have loved to have. You know, I would love if that was actually made in the twenties and Willis O'Brien had done Cthulhu. Oh yes. And you know, I mean, it's the closest thing I'm ever going to get to that. Yeah. To that dream film. I think you're right. It's. It's pretty awesome. I don't think I've watched Call of Cthulhu recently, their version of it. Mm -hmm. um, so you said it's their first film. I actually think it's their I, second. Is it? What because was their first? Because third. Yeah. Uh, they did one, the statement of, is it the statement of Randolph Carter? What? It's, it's the one with Harl with Warren. The, they go into the tomb and the guy never comes back. And Did? Oh, it's a very amateur student-like production. Okay, I wasn't aware of that one. It might not have even been under the HPLHS label. Oh, okay. It's still good. Yeah. But yeah, Call of Cthulhu really put them on the map for films. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I, I know that they don't really have any plans to do another one, which is a shame because yeah. they really... The stock answer is give us a few million dollars and we'll do it. Well, and if I, but well, let me check my wallet. <laughs> I, dude, if you have a few million, why did I pay for my own coffee, dude? <laughs> they do amazing work. You know, the Dark, the dark Adventure Radio Theater. Oh. Which I'm behind on. I'm, you know, past few episodes I haven't picked up, but uh, all the old stuff is just fantastic. And I listen to almost all of those every October. Yeah, and, and when they show up at the HB Lovecraft Film Festival and do their live things, you can almost close your eyes. If it wasn't for the fact that I sleep deprived by about Saturday afternoon, yeah. But if you, you close could, your eyes on a hot theater, you're gonna doze off. Yeah, yeah. It's like, but if you close your eyes, it's it's just like a radio play. I love those when they're live. When I get the recordings, they're great. It's amazing stuff, man. It's amazing stuff. Mm -hmm. Wow. So we've uh, gone through our top, our, our two and three already. So yeah. I'm gonna do an, uh, an honorable mention. For okay. You, and, uh, <laughs> This one is not based on an actual Lovecraft story, but it's inspired by a lot of things Lovecraft. I love the idea of the supernatural detective, the occult detective story. So I've got to mention Cast a Deadly Spell. Oh, gosh, yeah. I love Cast a Deadly Spell. Oh, yeah. Um, Fred Ward as Haggard P.I. Lovecraft, H.P. Lovecraft, and in a world in which magic is real and there's Lovecraftian stuff going on, as well as other magical stuff, too. But yeah, they're very Lovecraftian in some ways, and a lot of references, and I really dig that. Oh, yeah. No, I love that. Uh, David Warner's in it. Yeah, he's the villain. Yeah. yeah, he's the villain. Well, of course he's the villain. Of course he's the villain. Because um, he's the one who hires Lovecraft, and yeah. it's it's like a film noir, so you know yeah. who the bad person is. Yeah, it's, it's a film noir <laughs> Lovecraft story. I. Give and, me more of and, these. Yeah, I mean, they play off of a lot of ideas from uh, classic horror films, like Curse of the Demon, where Lovecraft yeah. gets the rune and uh -huh. something's coming after him, and he's got to, you know, I mean, some of it doesn't age well. Well, it was a made-for-HBO movie Yeah, uh, from the 80s? I think so. Early 90s. So it wasn't the day and age of prestige HBO productions. No. So. Um... Yeah. <laughs> Technically. <laughs> Someone like my Lovecraft shirt. That's right. I forgot to mention that Chris is actually in character here. He's wearing a Lovecraft Film Festival uh, t-shirt with artwork that was commissioned by the folks at the Lovecraft Film Festival by Bernie Wrightson. Mm-hmm. Super nice guy. Oh, yeah. R.I.P. Yes. Much missed. And that's that my, that's my phone. I got my really phone. excited there for a second. 
Um, um, Chris's ringtone is the theme song from Halloween. Yeah, I'm just gonna let it go. Um, it'll shut off soon. <laughs> if if it's if it's that, it's probably I'm not picking it up because it might be work. There you go. <laughs> I got all excited that maybe like somebody was driving by with it playing in their car. I'm like, oh oh, somebody else. He's like us. But no, it's, no, it's just me. It's just us. But <laughs> yeah. uh, cast a deadly spell. Well, there's also. They did a follow-up. Well, oh, yeah, that was with Dennis Hopper. Yeah, I yeah. didn't see it. So. Yeah. Well, what I was saying about not aging well is there is a cross-dressing character that, yeah. That's they, right. And they use the, the F word. I, I get it if they're trying to stay in the 30s, but sometimes you just want to kind of feel like they could have avoided that sort of stuff, that word. This is a whole conversation, um, yeah, about period films, things that were, sh- and even things that weren't period at the time. One of my absolute favorite movies is from the '80s, and they use that word. And I, I know an argument can be made that that word was used a lot at that point as an insult. Mm-hmm. That's how kids talked. But on the other hand, it hasn't aged well. No, you're talking and, Monster Squad. Uh, of yeah, course I'm talking Monster Squad. Um. Yeah, it's just, it was just, because I remember finally getting to see, I think it was, you know, streaming somewhere, and it's like, oh, I haven't seen this in years, and I'm loving it, and then all of a sudden they drop that word, and it's like, and the way the characters treated at that time, yeah. oh, this isn't aging well. Yeah. I, I get what they were trying to do. I know it was in, the, it took place in the 30s, that's, it still makes it hard. Yeah. yeah. And we're rambling again. That's okay. <laughs> um and I'm going to throw the 70s Dunwich Horror in there as well as an mm-hmm. honorable mention. <laughs> I love Dean Stockwell with the with the mustache and the and the hair and, <laughs> and doing the, the hand thing. I just, you know, I love the music. I love the poster design. I oh, love the, the poster design is great. Uh, it's just fantastic. So I'm going to throw that one in there too. Well, I, honorable mentions. I have actually two, and both of them I'm throwing in because. The first time I saw them, I didn't like them, and I had no idea why. But then I came around, watched them a second time, and it's like, oh, this is actually really good. The first one was Dagon. Another oh, Stuart I forgot Gordon. about Dagon. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Well, I saw it right after I saw Reanimator. That would be a challenge. It was, because why didn't... Oh, the ending. Oh, oh, E. But then, you know something, you really got to watch that again, because that ending is the most Lovecraftian ending I've seen in any of the movies at that time. If I remember right, didn't he bring that here for the premiere? I, I wasn't here when he Lovecraft. did, but I think he might have. I think it was the one year that the Lovecraft Film Festival went four nights. Oh. I think. I could be mixing it up. I've seen so many of them. But yeah. if I remember right, I saw that on the big screen and he was here. Oh, and, wow. And I had the same experience a little bit, where... I struggled with a lot of it. I, I had a hard time understanding the old fisherman character. Yeah. Um, and I felt like, I forget the lead actor's name, but it was like Stuart Gordon wanted a Jeffrey Coombs type, so he hired somebody who acted like Jeffrey Coombs instead of Jeffrey Coombs. Yeah. And I felt like there was a lot of that. And then mix a little bit of Bruce Campbell manicness into it, too. And, and I was like, well, why didn't you just hire Bruce Campbell or Jeffrey Coombs then? But, mm-hmm. you know, as the movie progresses and as I've gone back to it, I love the music. Um, oh, yeah. As I've gone back to it and rewatched it, I dig that movie a lot. Oh, it's not I, based on Dagon, but, you know. It's spoiler. basically the shadow of Ernsmith. <laughs> um, but it's dark and 
the the graphic the 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 gore is brutal. I mean, it's not the the fun in your face stuff of like from Beyond or say uh, Reanimator. This is nasty. It's dark. It's dark, and I think that's what threw me the first time I saw it because I was expecting another Stuart Gordon Reanimator, oh, and man. it's like yeah, this is. And then I was like, you know, I'm going to watch it again. You know, I went out rented it again because this was back when you could go to an actual physical store and rent. DVDs and VHS tapes and watch it again. And I'm like, you know, that's the most Lovecraftian ending I've seen yep. recently. Yep. The second one I saw at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, you and Dominique, Color Out of Space. I was wondering if that was going to come up because of some of the things that have come out about the director. Yeah, I'm not going into that. Yeah. I mean, I read some of that. Dang it. If you're aware of it, know that we're aware of it. Let's talk about the movie. When I first saw it, it's okay. I've changed my opinion from when I first saw it. Because when I first saw it, there's a scene that just... <laughs> you got really hung up on that. Oh, it threw me totally out of it. I'm going to try and be as spoiler-free as I can. I don't think it's a problem because it's kind of hinted at in the trailer. Mm -hmm. But there's a character that has an accident in the kitchen involving a knife and some fingers. That person's taken to the hospital, away from the house. And I understand why they did it. It was to isolate the children and have stuff happening and show the pull it has on K Nicolas Cage's character. But the character... Okay, it's the mom. The mom comes back 24 hours later with nothing on her hand but a big wrapping of gauze. That's not the cast you have when someone cuts off their fingers. Of all the crazy things that happen in Color Out of Space... I didn't laugh in your face about it, but I was chuckling hard inside. No, I don't that, blame that was you. The one thing you latched onto is, well, that's not realistic. Don't <laughs> Dude, what else is? But for some reason, and, and you know, I think it's just my headspace at the time or whatever. It just, that threw me out. And then by the end of the movie, I was back into it. So, gotcha. of course, when it came out. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen um, it since. I bought the Blu-ray. And watched it again. You know, I really think that's a good film. I just got to get over medical procedure inaccuracies. And I, I love it. Does it I, hold up? Oh, yeah. I think it does. I mean, and also, it's a really nice Lovecraftian ending. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. It yeah, is. It, it definitely takes you on a journey. And I haven't seen any of the recent spate of Nicolas Cage makes any horror movie that's put under his nose films. Um, I'm glad that he's doing it. Oh, yeah. I'm glad that we've got an Oscar winner who's like, ah, crazy horror movie. I'm in. Yeah. You know, that was my, that was, that was not even an attempt at an impersonation. But, uh, you know, Nick Cage was a pig, Mandy, Willie's Wonderland. And there's a new one he's doing that's coming uh, out. Yeah. No, I've seen Mandy. And that is just a and <laughs> whacked out film. Just, they were movies that I wasn't interested in, modern horror at that point. Just like, yeah, whatever. But after seeing Color Out of Space, I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> maybe I need to see Nick Cage go a little crazy in Mandy or Willie's Wonderland and some of these others. Oh, Nick Cage going crazy in Mandy is, it, it is something to behold. Now, he does go full Nick Cage in Color Out of Space, but I feel like it doesn't take it, you out of the movie. Right. And it, and it's, it's, it's very restrained. Yeah. I mean, I think he holds back long enough to when he finally cages out it's like yeah okay he's he's there's a reason he's crazy now i get it you know it's you know so i think that was one of his better performances 
I think the movie looks amazing. Yeah. For trying to show a color out of space, I think they pulled it off as to the best of anyone's how do you do ability. How yeah. Do you, how do you portray a color that we've not seen yet? Yes. The color out of space story is hard to read because I have such a hard... And granted, it's Lovecraft. You're not supposed to wrap your head around a lot of the visuals. I get that. Yeah. But, I mean, that one, it's very Lovecraftian. It's like, how do you... It's a color that nobody's seen before. I, what? Yeah, what? And I forgot an honorable mention now that we're talking about it. It's Die Farb, which is the short film version of Colorado Space. Oh, it's I... all in black and white oh. until the color shows up and then it's color. Now, that's, that's an a, interesting way of doing brilliant it. Brilliant way of doing yeah, it. Yeah. Brilliant way of I doing have it. to look for that now. Yeah, uh, it was sold by uh, the Lovecraft Historical Society for a while. I don't remember who produced or directed it or even the year. So I'll come back in later in the edit and maybe mention it. But I really like that one, too. Yeah, I'll have to look for that. I think I, I, I'm, I think I can get it on streaming. I'll have to look. Okay. But that sounds like an interesting way to yeah. get around that. Yeah. All right. I got my number one. And I'm going to cheat because it's my show. And I can cheat. And I make the rules. And I have a tie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't tell me I could tie something. Well, you can't. It's not your show. Oh, okay. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> And this okay, I'm cheating. It, Haunted Palace and Die Monster Die back to back. Hey, Haunted Palace. You got Vincent Price. You got Lon Chaney. You got Vincent Price playing multiple characters, and it's Charles Dexter Ward's story, and it's phenomenal. It's so good. Chaney's great, and you get to see Chaney and Price do stuff together. How often do you get to see that? Die Monster Die has got my. You know, you couldn't get John Agar, so we got Nick Adams. Nick Adams, and we got <laughs> I, Boris Karloff. Somehow with you, I knew Nick Adams was going to show up. Well, you know, I love me some Nick Adams. I love me some Nick Adams. Oh, I no, wish, he's I wish great. he did more genre I, stuff. I, yeah, I wish I wish he hadn't ended his, you know, yeah. his, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I've talked about these movies on the show in the past. I don't know what more I can say about them other than, you know, Corman directed one of them. He produced the other. You know, Daniel Haller did the art design on one of them. He directed the other. <laughs> you know? uh, in fact, he also directed Dumb Tour. Mm-hmm. So Holler was kind of like Corman's Lovecraft dude. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I just love those movies. Now, Haunted Palace was pitched as a Poe film because the studios didn't think anybody knew who Lovecraft was, and they were probably right to do yeah. so. And, and, by the way, that is my number one, The Haunted Palace. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah, because you're talking about Vincent Price doing, uh, you know, the Charles Dexter um, role. He is so good. I mean, you know exactly when he switches. There is a subtle change in the makeup as well, but you know exactly from his, his presence, eyes. his eyes, and his voice. You just know he's changed. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. I mean, we're talking about Haunted Palace, man, and you can talk about that all night. Um, and yeah, whatever. Yeah, and and Deborah Pageant uh -huh. as his wife. You know, I mean, that was. I don't think she. No, that, that was an added in character, I believe. I wouldn't be surprised. Lovecraft didn't do a lot of women. Yeah. I, I, I haven't read that novella in so long. I think it's a novella. It's it's a very long story. It's one of the longer ones, yeah. She's great in it. You know, Lon Chaney, of course. The production design is beautiful. beautiful. Uh, the painting is gorgeous. Uh, you know, I know it was all models and match shots and all that. Probably match shots. A lot of it, yeah. Um, but just the way it's lit and the one night, kind of nightmarish type scene where he sees the residents of the town and they've got the disfigurements and all oh, that. Oh, yeah. That whole thing is shot like a nightmare, and it's awesome. Yeah. And, of course, Corman producing it. Well, Corman I think directed, he directed it, it as well. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, just, just 
he was a top of his game. And yeah, you're you're saying that um, about the title. Yeah. The Haunted Palace is, you know, I think a, a poem by Poe. It's like a line from a poem. It's either or a poem line, or a line yeah. from a poem from Poe. And, and I get that. Carmen was known as doing the Edgar Allan Poe films. And, and AIP wanted to play off of the success of that. that so sense. you've got this movie entitled Edgar Allan Poe's The Haunted Palace with a story by H.P. Lovecraft. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm sure AIP was like, ah, no one's going to read the credits. What yeah. the heck? <laughs> what was AIP? Yeah. What more do you need to say? <laughs> um, we saw it with Roger Corman in attendance and at I think the HP Love. Yeah, 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 at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, and we got to interview him. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I one of the lost recordings. Of yeah. Kid Radio. Oh yeah, because you were having issues with setting everything up and all that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I remember I ordered the British Blu-ray from Arrow Films because they had an interview with Corman and all that, you know, and I just wanted to see it again. And here's some of the background, so maybe I could ask an intelligent question and sound like I know what I was talking about. So You know who sounded the smartest on that whole panel? Corman. Yeah. Despite the fact that he was what? He was in his 90s. He's in his 90s, 91, 92. He was sharp. It was amazing. That man is doing some Dexter Ward stuff himself. I don't know. Yeah. Or he's got some, like, he's got a painting of himself at home (laughs) that keeps aging. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. But I do remember. Do you mind, since it's a lost recording? Yeah, go ahead. He's sharp. He knows what he, you know, but everything was. I pretty much heard the same stuff. He, we we asked him about his replies on the DVD, so I had to ask something totally different. Right. And I asked him, you know, if this had become a success and AIP wanted to do another Lovecraft, which movie would you do? I remember that. And he just, right off the bat, he's like, I want to do Dagon. I wanted to do Dagon. But, you know, submarine wrecking on an island, that's really expensive. But then I shot this I forget the name of it, but it was a World War One aerial combat film. You know, it, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't I'll remember the name. So he shot that, and then he's like, you know, if I did get to do Dagon, I'd change it from a submarine to a guy crashing on the island in a plane, because I have all the footage, and I can just end in a crash. Well, that's a perfect answer coming from Roger Corman, because... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we... We joke about Charles Bend and, and especially like Lloyd Kaufman reusing material, but I mean, Corman was the innovator of that. Oh yeah, he's Joe, and he still's doing it. Yeah. <laughs> he still is doing it. Yeah. The reason that's in my number one is I actually got to literally sit right next, right across the way from Roger Corman and talk to him about it. So, I but also, <laughs> also it is a great film. It's a great film, it and really if you is. haven't seen it, you need to. And have you found it yet? Um, Palace was 63. I wonder if it was one that he produced, because I'm not seeing anything that looks familiar in his direction. It might have been something he produced. I don't know. Well, anyway. Yeah, it is a lost recording. And I remember when we sat up to do that. It was you, me, and Dominique. Yes. Uh, Victoria Price and Roger Corman. And, and we put you right next to Roger Corman. I remember. <laughs> well, no. I, I mean, we came in before they showed up and they introduced Roger Corman and I look over to my left and there he is right next to me. I'm like, um, okay, don't geek out. Don't freeze up. Just be cool. (laughs) Uh, I remember Victoria 
you know, we're friends. And uh, Victoria came up to me you know, beforehand and she was concerned that she didn't have a lot to say about Haunted Palace. And I thought, well, I'm clever. I can come up with a way to bring you into the conversation. I know some things that I can ask you. No problem. I got you, Victoria. Time to ask her a question. Did your father ever talk about working with Lon Chaney? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I, yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah, she and uh, Corman were up there after the screening yeah. on the stage, and they had a lovely chat. It was yeah. great. I mean, that is one. Of, that is one of my fondest memories of the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. Same. Same. Yeah. I have to change my list. Uh-oh. I just remembered another movie. Oh. Cthulhu Man... I'm, I can't say it. Cthulhu Mansion! No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Despite the fact that it's getting a Blu-ray treatment or already has had a Blu-ray treatment, I'd love to add it to my collection. It's a terrible Lovecraft film. <laughs> it's an actual film? Yes. Wow. Although the title's better than what is it? Call Girl of Cthulhu. I've got that. <laughs> <laughs> I went through a period where I thought I need to have every Lovecraft thing and get my hands on. So oh I, my God. Um, this was several years ago when life was different and I had the money, the income. I kicked in on the Kickstarter for that one. Oh God. So I have one of the Kickstarter, like one of 3,000 copies or whatever discs of Call Girl of Cthulhu. Ask me if I've watched it. Have you? No. <laughs> I'm almost tempted to say, let me borrow it. No, <laughs> we should have a movie night, man. We could do that. We should do that. So, Cold um, Girl of Cthulhu and Cthulhu Mansion. I'm trying to think of the the weirdest ones that I've got. Um, you, oh, sorry. That's okay. You can. There is one I need to mention as an honorable mention. Oh, me too. Actually, go ahead. Please, you first. It's your show. Well, and I think you and I have talked about this one. I don't think you dig it as much as I do. I really like Brian Moore's Cool Air short. I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. Um, and, and I like it because of the way the, the added material actually enhances it uh, in a way that I thought was really clever. Jack Donner is phenomenal in that. Uh, so th- that's, you know, yeah, no, cool and, air, it, fantastic. and it's, it's a, I just had a problem with a plot point. Yeah. And it, and it, it, it wasn't the same as like uh, Colorado space that one time, but it's just <laughs> like, that really doesn't make sense, but still, that's a great movie. Yeah. I mean, and I hope I get the name right on this one. Um, it was done in the 90s. The Unknown. The Unnameable? The Unnameable. That was it. Which has a Blu-ray release now. I know. I and, have to get it. And uh, I did get that one. So thanks for... I was able to get that one. Yeah. And, uh, it looks great. And yeah. The Unnameable 2 is actually really good. Too, it also. is. And I would love to get that on Blue. I don't... It's two different studios, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and for a while, you can only you can only get one of them. I can't remember which one. I think you can, I, I've got the Unnameable Two on DVD. I don't know if it's blue or not. But anyway, the Unnameable One. Fantastic haunted house movie, basically from the eighties. Kind of plays like a slasher. Yeah. The main actors are good. Yep. The supporting cast is good, but what's really amazing is the monster and the actor who portrayed the monster who was apparently a russian ballerina yeah it was a dancer of some sort yeah it was uh, a, no it was a ballerina she she was you know in you the know, ballet ballerinas are dancers right well yeah but but <laughs> she did she was not credited because she didn't Sorry, want Chris. <laughs> <laughs> no the thing is she wasn't credited because she didn't want the ballet troupe she was with to be 
aware that she did this. Ah. Um, which is a shame because she's she is unworldly. Now in the Unnameable Two, I think it's Julie Strand. Who uh, Julie Strain. Yeah. yeah, Strain, who plays a creature, and she's fine, but the first one has the best creature. Color from the Dark. It's uh, by Ivan Zukov. Mm-hmm. It's from 2012. Uh, it's it's kind of color out of space. I mean, the yeah. title. Um, Debbie Rashon is in it. Oh. A female lead. Uh, and that came out on Blue not too long ago. Ooh. Um, and it's it's held up for me. Huh. Um, now, Ivan Zukov also did The Shunned House, which isn't as... We didn't even mention The Shuttered Room, but... Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I think the only reason to mention that is Oliver Reed, because he's just great. Yeah, and I like the well, music. Well, yeah, it's an okay movie. But yeah, Ivan Zukov did a lot of a handful of Lovecraft adaptations. He did a version of Reanimator, which I've never seen. I haven't either. But yeah, I, I really like his version of Colorado Space. I've seen that one. It is really good. Although, I will say it kind of felt kind of Catholic undertones yeah, to me. Yeah. Um, well, it's Italian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and I get it, but it was like, yeah, okay. Um, yeah. Um, but it was, that, no, it was very good. It was, it was an exceptional version. Uh, his version of the shunned house is basically an anthology film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, or portmanteau film. It's, it's less, it's more like a amicus anthology where it's characters go do something and there's stories that happen along the way. Uh, it's a writer and his girlfriend going somewhere in Italy or whatever, and three Lovecraft stories are told. And the only thing I remember about it, other than not being overly excited about it, although I'd like to revisit it, is there's a version of the music of Eric Zahn told in that story. And at one point, a character has opened up her arm and is playing the veins with a violin bow. Ooh. It's a heck of an image. Yeah. Wow, that's, yeah. That's a thing. That's a thing. I mean, Christian Matsky's stuff is great. Mm-hmm. Experiment 17 is fantastic. It's super short. Yeah. Uh, he also did a version of Domator, which is really good. Uh, Aaron Vanek's stuff is great. I mean, really just go through the best of H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival DVDs oh, yeah, yeah. or Blu-rays, and you're going to see so many great Lovecraft films. And that's, that's what I miss about the Lovecraft Film Festival is being able to see this independent stuff that, it's the second thing I miss. First thing is hanging out with my buds. Oh, yeah. You know, but I, I enjoy seeing the stuff that you're not going to see anywhere else from independent filmmakers, usually short films, and then rushing up to the filmmaker afterward and saying, hey, can I buy that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, like know. I said, I went through that kick where I was like, I got to have every Lovecraft film. Yeah, and, and, and I agree. Because some of these, some of the stuff that I've seen at the Lovecraft Film Festival, it's really hard to find. Even on YouTube and stuff, it's yeah. just very hard to find. I mean, I love the fact they're starting to put out the best of Lovecraft. I've got to start buying some of those DVDs when my wallet will let me. Well, and for a while there, you could get a handful of them through Amazon because Amazon didn't just have indie publishing. Through their Create Space program, they had indie filmmakers making their DVDs available. Right. And a lot of that stuff you could get that way. And I picked up a handful of stuff that way. But they've sense the mix to that so yeah and and i mean yeah we could go on about streaming and how it's getting harder and harder to find independent stuff on streaming services because they're all trying to bring back the big titled stuff that will that oh people are gonna want to see that chris i don't know how long this has been going for i don't know i'm not even gonna bother looking okay 
<laughs> well, and if you need to, if, if we rambled and you need to cut, please cut away. We should have moved my car twice by now. I'll just say that. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I'm just looking at my clock. Oh, my, my gosh. Well, good thing we're sitting right next to it. And yep. No, no one's come by. <laughs> oh, this was, I needed this, man. I needed this. I'm glad, I'm glad I could be here for it. Talking Lovecraft? Yeah. And I would love to hear viewers' picks. If they have any particular favorite Lovecraft films, call it in, write in. I'll get the monsters in the machine to drop the uh, feedback information here in a second before we sign off. Shadowoverportland.blogspot.com is where you're going to get Chris McMillan once a week. Yeah, yeah. I, I try to do the updates uh, once a week. I'm doing my best to work on the horror sci-fi fantasy calendar, which you can find, you know, which is a page on my website where I'm listing as much, as many movies, and, you know, I mean, uh, film festivals, conventions, all, events, all that events. stuff. And, and, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, well, okay, I am talking Candyman right now because that's, that's out there. But I'm also talking about independent cinemas that are showing unusual, weird films. Um, and if everything happens you've been talking about the haunted house pro stuff that's coming up so. i'm working on it um yeah. i've actually got a couple of corn mazes um i found a couple haunted houses god i hope they can open though you know i mean I let's keep our fingers and forever yeah you know, let's keep our fingers and tentacles crossed but the room was quiet had it been a nightmare what woke him was the candle in the antique mirror moving was there something standing by the curtains? Was he mad? The Crimson Cult. So terrifying they won't let us tell you about it here. She'd wandered alone. The passageway between the walls was damp and musty. She dropped her candle. And then I heard it. Now she has no head. It happened in Horror House. I was there. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited behind forbidden doors. Horror House stars Frankie Avalon and Jill Hayworth. The Crimson Cult features Boris Karloff and Christopher Lee. See them together for the first time, but don't see them alone. Rated GP. He invokes the unspeakable. She invites it. The Dunwich Horror, based on H.P. Lovecraft's terrifying tale of those who explore the supernatural. Sandra Dee, Dean Stockwell, Ed Begley, Sam Jaffe, in The Dunwich Horror. There's a place in every neighborhood. I dare you to show me the house. A place shrouded in mystery. This old house, been deserted for years, yet it'll be a hoot exploring it. Well, let's go for it. A place that begs a dare. Now, maybe we should just stay outside. Come on, it's just an old house. Most of the time, it's just an imaginary fright. It'd be weird to find a dead body under this. But sometimes, it can be horrifyingly real. Where did you last see Wendy? What was it? I don't know, but something's gonna kill us all. Something is watching. 
Thanks for sticking around. I sound a lot sicker than I really am. Uh, If any of the titles that you heard Chris and I talk about sound interesting to you, head over to monsterkidradio.net. There are the videos for the movies are available for sale. I have created buttons that will take you to Amazon. It's our Amazon affiliate link, and it will help support Monster Kid Radio if you're going to buy any of these movies for yourself. It doesn't cost you anything extra. In fact, if you're going to buy anything on Amazon, please consider using one of these links because when you do so, you're helping out the show. You're helping out Monster Kid Radio. And again, it doesn't cost anything extra. You're just taking a couple of cents out of... Spaceman Cowboy, Jeff Bezos' pocket, and putting it into Monster Kid Radios. Also on our website, you're going to find links to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, our Twitter account, our Reddit, and our Discord. And I think our Twitch is over there as well. Speaking of Twitch, this weekend at the Monster Kid Movie Club at twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio. We're doing what we're calling spooky spoofs. We're doing horror comedies or comedies that have a horror connection. So that will be what's coming up this Saturday at 11 a.m. Pacific with the pre-show. The movie's starting at noon and we'll be going till about 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night. You don't want to miss that. And then on Tuesday at the same place, the Monster Kid Astronomy Club, we're going to be showing a couple of robot movies, including an adaptation of the Russian stage play that first introduced the term robot to popular society and culture. And I am forgetting the name of the movie because I always do. Give me one second here and I will look it up because I don't want to leave you guys and gals. I don't want to leave the gang in the dark. The movie is called Loss of Feeling from 1935. We're also going to be showing 1921's The Mechanical Man and who knows what else. And then next week on the show, here on the podcast, I have no idea. I don't have anything set up yet. But keep checking back at the Monster Kid Radio Facebook page or group or Twitter for any further updates or information about what we have going on here at Monster Kid Radio. Once again, thanks for listening. Remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, Unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Cthulhu Don't Surf. That is from the band The Terror Surfs. It's on their album Terror Alien. It is copyright 2020. You can find it at theterrorsurfs.bandcamp.com. Check it out. Let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. My name is Eric Cook. Talk to everybody next week. Ciao. <laughs>